welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Have you ever heard anybody, had anybody say to you, you need to get real? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. You need to get real. Paul writes in verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. A lady and her husband were out in the yard working. They'd been working most of the day. They were pretty hot and sweaty and dirty, and they noticed a moving van drive up across the street. They began unloading into a house, new neighbors. So they walked right out of the yard over there and greeted them in the neighborhood and told them how glad they were to meet them and, and have them in the neighborhood. About a week later, the new neighbors invited this couple over for a housewarming party, and, and so the wife put curlers in her hair, added curl to her hair, popped in her contact lenses, applied eyeshadow, false eyelashes, painted her fingernails, painted her lips, and she looked in the mirror with pride. She said, tonight they're going to see the real me. Philip Yancey, who, was a well, who is a well-known Christian writer, it categorizes Christians into two categories. He said there are Christian entertainers and there are Christian servants. The entertainers are so of those musicians, actors, writers, speakers, and comedians who fill our periodicals, dominate our seminars, and appear on our television screens. They have fame, prestige, and money. The Christian servants are rarely in the spotlight. They toil unnoticed in remote places. They live among the rejects of society and work for low pay, long hours, and no applause. Their talents and skills are given to the poor and uneducated, yet somehow in the process of losing their lives, they have found them and attained rewards that the famous never experience. When you go to the store, the grocery store especially, <clears throat> on the food packages are labels that show all the ingredients, all the stuff that in that food. Wouldn't it be nice if people had those labels on them where you could see everything about them, what's on the inside and what the ingredients are? And that raises the question, what does it mean to really live like a Christian? What does a real Christian look like? 
Now, when I use the word Christian, I'm talking about somebody who's been born again, somebody who's placed their faith in God, in Jesus Christ, and received him by faith. They're believers, they're followers, not just somebody who said, well, I was born a Christian. You were never born a Christian. You're born again a Christian. And then there are people who say, well, I go to a church that's a Christian church. Well, I hope there are Christians in the Christian church. So I like the word believer or Christ follower because it's a little more accurate and descriptive. But what does a real believer in Christ or a Christian look like? How do they live? What does it mean to get real? Well, let's take a look at it. Real Christianity is revealed in actions. In your actions, three parts to this, but it's revealed in our actions. Did you know, you're familiar with the Great Wall of China. In China, they got tired of the northern hordes or barbaric hordes coming and invading them, so they built a wall. A wall so wide, you can't get through it, you can't push it over. It's so high, you can't climb over it. And it's so long, you can't go around it. And you think they'd made that, they built that thing. It's incredible. And you would think their security issues were over, and yet in the first 100 years that it existed, China was invaded three times. And it wasn't because they went over the wall or through it or around it. It was because they didn't think about the gatekeeper, and they were bribed. So the invaders just marched through the gates. You see, they spent a lot of time building a wall, but they didn't place any time on building the character of the gatekeeper. You can surround yourselves with protection from the influences of the world and the culture in particular, but if you have no character, if you don't have the real thing, the Holy Spirit in you, you can fall no matter how high the wall of truth you put around you or around the church. Did you know the church is never any stronger than the people in it? Well, Rules won't protect you. Faking it won't keep you safe. You have to be real. You have to have character to have joy, to have strength for the journey, and to know your purpose. So how are these actions shown? First of all, in your conduct. Only. Now, don't miss the word only in verse 27. Only. If you have an NIV, it says whatever happens. Same word. It's emphatic. It emphasizes at all cost and above all else. Here's the bottom line. Here's the most important thing. Only. Let your conduct. If you have a King James Version, it's the word conversation, but it's conduct. And guess the what? The word is politeo. Politeho polis was the city. This carried over into our language, Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, polis is the word for city. We get our word politic or political from the word. And in that day, a polis, P-O-L-I-S, polis or polis, whatever you want to call it, was the largest political unit, it was, they belonged to this like we belong to a country. Philippi was a miniature Rome. It was 800 miles from Rome. Yet the citizens of Philippi had their names on the citizenship of Rome. Even though it's 800 miles away, they lived, they considered themselves Romans. 
largely because a lot of the military soldiers had retired in Philippi, and it was inferred this way, you may be miles from Rome, but you will conduct yourself as a Roman citizen. Well, Paul takes that analogy or that, that imagery that the Philippians would completely understand, and he says, you are to conduct yourselves it's a middle voice, which means to recognize your position. And if you look at chapter 3, verse 20, I think, yes, it says our citizenship is where? In heaven. We are citizens of the king. We are children of God and while we are obeying as a matter of obligation to God, we need to also realize our responsibility and privileged position. You are a child of God. And Paul is saying, above all else, live like you belong to God. Somebody wisely said there's two reasons people don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior. One is they've never met a Christian, and two, they've met a Christian. Some haven't turned to Christ because they've never met a Christian to hear the gospel. Some haven't turned to Christ because they met a Christian and were repulsed by the Christian's lifestyle, which is a contradiction of the gospel. If you're going to bear the name of Christ, act like it. Get real. That's what Paul's saying. And then he uses the word worthy. Let your conduct be worthy. Interesting. It means to have the same weight. It, it's, it refers to a set of scales. If you're going to say you're a Christian, your life ought to balance it out. It's an interesting account I read about the 22nd and 24th president of the United States. None of you were around even though some may look like they were. <laughs> Grover Cleveland. That's hard for me to say sometimes because if you say it fast five times, you, it won't come out Grover Cleveland. Grover Cleveland back in the days, long before a lot of medical technology and all, when it came time for their second child to be born, the doctor came to the house, which was common. Second child was born and the doctor wanted to weigh the baby and so he asked Grover Cleveland, do you have a scale? Well, he said, I do somewhere. And he looked everywhere, could not find the scale he was looking for, but he remembered he had a fisherman's scale. So he brought it in there. They, you weighed fish when you caught it. And the doctor was literally amazed that this newborn baby weighed 30 pounds. <laughs> That's pretty normal for a fisherman's scale, right? <laughs> but did you know, if you set your own standard, you're going to look pretty good. I mean, we do. We, we say, well, you know, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't cheated on my wife. I haven't robbed a bank and so forth. I'm a pretty good person. But the standard is not someone else. It's Jesus. You don't set your own standard. We say, well, I'm not as bad as the world, but your conduct will show if you're real or not. It, let's just get it out here open here and in the venue too. There's nobody perfect. 
Dwight Pentecost wrote a book and called entitled The Joy of Living. It's actually a commentary on the book of Philippians. And in that book, he tells of something that happened to him one time in Pennsylvania. He had been sent there uh, to represent some churches at a convention in New Jersey. And at the end of the convention, he received a check to cover his travel expenses, which would amount to $70. So he walks into a bank with a $70 check, I mean, with a check for $70, and he wants to cash it, and he signs it and gives it to the teller, and the teller counts out 10, 100, uh, 10 $10 bills. That's $100 for those of you who can't add or multiply. He counts it three times in front of, of Dwight Pentecost. bills, and he hands it to to Dwight Pentecost. And Dr. Pentecost says, I I think there's been a mistake. And the teller said, look, you saw me count it three times. There's no mistake. And so Dwight Pentecost handed it back to him. He said, would you just count it one more time? And when he got to the number seven, his face turned red, and he realized what he had done. And he really didn't know what to say. And so he just looked at Dr. Pentecost and said, Sir, you must be a Christian. And it wasn't what Dr. Pentecost said that caused him to realize that. It was how he acted. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are in trouble. They're preaching Jesus. And in verse 18, it says, so when the council, they, when they called them, Peter and John commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And Paul said, whether I come to you or I'm absent, whether I'm there or not, you need to be consistent. You need to be real in your conduct. Will Rogers said, live in such a way that you would not be ashamed to sell your parrot to the town gossip. (laughs) Dr. Bob Record at one time was with the North American Mission Board, NAM, which we support was giving a, a seminar, and he talked about a major institution in a Fortune 500 company that was about to make a, an unheard of move. They were about to promote a 38-year-old vice president to the president of this Fortune 500 corporation. The man was very impressive, businessman. He wooed and awed the board of directors upon completing the final interview process. The board broke for lunch with plans to return and to offer this prestigious position of president to this young man. Well, this young man went to lunch alone at a cafeteria, and unintentionally, some of the other board members happened to be behind him. And as he was going down the line, he came to the the bread section and he placed two three-cent butter pats on his tray and covered it up with his napkin. And when he got to the cashier, he didn't ever reveal that he had six cents worth of butter. 
Well, when everyone returned to the boardroom for what was to be a joyous occasion, the mood had dramatically changed. The promising young man was not only denied the promotion, but he was fired from his position as vice president, all because of six cents worth of butter. I've told you before, the worst day for the servers in the restaurants is today, Sunday. You know why? Because Christian people, church people, let me put it that way, church people, they're ornery, <laughs> impatient, greedy, don't tip. Servers don't like to work on Sunday. Now, folks, I want to tell you, it's time for us to get real. If you're going to carry the name of Jesus, it's shown to the community. You may not have on it. I, please don't wear anything from Southcrest if you're going to be that way. <laughs> but it doesn't matter what church you're from. They can tell. They can tell. I'm just using that as an example because it's shown in our conduct, the way we behave. It's also shown in our consistency. In verse 27, it says, stand fast. Now, if you have an NIV, it says contending as one man. But what is most important about our Christian lives is not only what we do, but how long we do it. It talks about persevering. You don't run for a little while, then quit. You don't run a sprint and get out. Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's the rest of your life. And one way that you can do that is to persevere. It's just to be bonded in one spirit, that you stand fast in one spirit. It, it means to contend as one man. It's a parallel word of soul as one man in the NIV. It refers to the attitude that should characterize the church. We're fused together. Now, I've been in churches where they were frozen together or rusted together. But we are fused together in the Holy Spirit. We stand with each other. Paul drew on the imagery of persons to describe the function of the body of Christ. One little boy in the first grade stood up in front of his class, said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a lion tamer. I'll have lots of fierce lions. I'm going to walk in that cage. They're going to roar, and I'm not going to be afraid. And then he said, and my mother's going to be with me. Well, we're not afraid because we have others with us. We're not in this alone. Some of you are rock climbers so far <laughs> or mountain climbers. Now, I don't know where you're going to go climb a mountain around here. You're going to have to drive a while. But you know why they, you ever notice they have ropes tied to one another? You know why they do that? Keep any of them from running off. <laughs> That'd be the only way you'd keep me on that mountain. I'm not going up that thing. No, I'm kidding. I know it's for safety. I do know that. But the fact is, we have each other. When you come together, don't you like coming together? And I know it's a hassle. It's a hassle. You, you didn't come in here conveniently. You couldn't find a parking place. And then you had to walk a long way. You got in here, somebody was in your seat. But you know what? You made it. It's a hassle. But you come so that you can worship the Lord 
and you can gain from each other. Consistently, you've got to have that fellowship of believers. And there's a third part to these actions. It's in cooperation with one mind striving together. The emphasis is on the harmony. It's not necessarily the activity, but the working together. And I want to tell you, you bless my heart when I see you working together to do things. When we work together to do things, when we contend as one man, we can do a lot of things together that we can't do alone. Those of you who are as old as I am remember Jimmy Durante. For those of you who don't remember him, look him up sometime. He's got a real big nose, and he was known for it. And he made fun of himself about it. But he was a comedian. He was a good comedian, a clean comedian. One time he was asked to do a show for some World War II vets. And he agreed to do it with one stipulation. He said, I don't have much time. You've got to let me just do one short monologue, and then I've got to go. And they agreed. And so Jimmy Durante comes out in front of the World War II vets, and he does a short monologue, and people are laughing and clapping. And the next thing you know, he starts another one. And people are laughing and clapping. And the next thing you know, he starts another one. And he goes on and on. And finally, when he walks off... The manager said, I thought you had to go. And he said, I did have to go, but I can show you the reason I stayed. And he pointed to the front row, and there were two men seated next to each other. And each one had lost an arm in the war. And together, they were able to clap. He said, that's why I stayed. Well, to me, that's a beautiful picture of the church. We don't all do the same thing. We can't all be the same person and do the same stuff, but we can do things together. Have you ever used the word dodo? You're a dodo bird. I should have, I should have looked up a picture of one or a drawing of one. There really was such a bird. It's extinct. It was uh, a little larger than a turkey, it was ash gray colored, 50 pounds, fat and lumpy. Its tail was ridiculous, had a few curly feathers, and its stubby wings sported no more than three or four black feathers. It had a hooked beak, large legs, and heavy feet. And if that wasn't bad enough, you couldn't eat them because the more you cooked them, the tougher they got and the worse they got. They lived on three islands in the Indian Ocean, and when settlers came, they annihilated them. But there was a surprising discovery. In 19, sometimes we use that term for somebody that we think is a moron or stupid. You're a dodo. In 1977, they discovered that there were only 13 Calaveria trees left that are native to those islands. The calaveria tree's seed, the hull is so thick on it, it won't sprout unless it has gone through the digestive system of the dodo bird. So they imported some turkeys to compensate for that. But my point is this, that even as something as ugly and useless looking as a dodo bird was, it still had a purpose. And I want you to know 
there are no dodos in the church of Jesus Christ. They're not. Cooperation. And so those three things, your conduct shows your allegiance, your citizenship. Your consistency shows your convictions. And your cooperation reveals your humility. Because there are no prima donnas in God's kingdom. If you're not humble enough to promote a team that is advancing the gospel above yourself, then you're too proud to be real. There's none of us in here that are irreplaceable. And when the church is unified, standing fast in one spirit, Jesus said the gates of hell can well not prevail against it. So real Christianity is shown in your actions. It's also reflected in your attitude. Paul now picks up a military theme again. Two things you'll notice. He says, first of all, we see the attitude in courage. In no way terrified. In, in, not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Terrified is only used here in the New Testament. It, it speaks of a, a startled horse. Terrified. One way I can describe it is one man was walking home late one night in the middle of the night. He decided to take a shortcut through the cemetery. He walks through the cemetery on a certain path. He falls into an open grave. There's no one else around. He hollers for help. He tries to claw himself out. He can't get out. And so he decides, I'm just going to have to sit down here in the dark and wait till daylight till somebody can, can come get me out. About an hour later, another fellow walks through the cemetery. Same path. Falls in the same hole. He's on the end of that grave trying to get out, clawing his way out, and he can't, and he's hollering for help. And all of a sudden in the dark, he hears a voice from the other end that says, you can't get out. But he did. <laughs> That's the word terrified. In no way terrified by your adversaries. Don't be startled. There are going to be opponents to you. Did you know when you follow Jesus, you're in a war? Satan doesn't like it. There are going to be opponents. They may be in school, maybe at work. <laughs> they could even be at home. Standing in the midst of difficulty is going to be a sign to the unbeliever. It says to them, a sign of perdition. In other words, the judgment and destruction of those who oppose Jesus, your standing up for Jesus just proves to them what's going to happen. But that's not all. It says, it also, but to you, salvation and that from God. Which leads to the second, in confidence. Your attitude is in courage and it's in confidence. Now look, this is really cool. Verse, in verse 28, it says, but to you of salvation and that from God. Meaning your salvation comes from God, but going back to striving together, Standing in one spirit, striving together, is actually alluding to the gladiator games. In the gladiator games, when they, these gladiators would fight, the defeated gladiator would be on the ground, and the victorious gladiator would look to the crowd. And if the crowd gave them the thumbs up, they let the gladiator live. But if the crowd gave the thumbs down, 
the gladiator that had been defeated was executed. Paul takes that imagery and he says, your confidence of salvation and that from God, it's this, but God is basically, you're saying in this battle, in this battle, I know I'm going to be okay because I'm going to look to God. And when I look to God, I always get the thumbs up. You're still in there. You're hanging. Did, did I make sense then? I'm not sure I got it out there exactly like I wanted to. But, but you, you don't have to worry. God's on your side. It doesn't mean that you won't go through some difficulty, but God's on your side. God's, God will guide you. You say, well, God never speaks to me that way. Maybe you're just looking at the crowd. Or maybe you're looking at the latest fad. When's the last time you just spent some time reading in God's Word, reading the Bible or praying and listening to God? If your confidence is in the crowd, then you're going to be subjected to whatever they think is the, the fad for the moment. Real Christianity is, a, is revealed in our actions. It's revealed also in our attitude. Thirdly, it's Resolved in adversity in verse 29, for to you it has been granted. I wish I could tell you that you wouldn't have any struggles if you followed Jesus. Sometimes you hear testimonies about how my life was a wreck and this was this and this and this, and then I followed Jesus and now everything is perfect. It doesn't happen that way. Yeah, there's joy in your life and there's peace and purpose, but your your, uh, circumstances are difficult. And so in our adversity, real Christians show their resolve, first of all, in their commitment. It has been granted to you. Charizomai, charis, grace. It's been graced to you. Oh, thank you, God. I don't really want that grace gift. That's strange thinking. Some suffering is because of our own sin and our own mistakes and our own doing. But some suffering is strictly because you follow Jesus. You may be overlooked for a promotion. You may be ridiculed at school. It may be any of that, but it's simply because you stand for the Lord. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul said, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deciding and being deceived. Deceiving and being deceived, excuse me. Suffering takes our eyes off of all earthly comforts. Have you ever noticed when you're going through a difficult time, priorities rise to the top? These people, I've not been there, so I can't tell you how they feel. I don't know how they feel. But can you imagine waking up and there's bombing going around you? All of a sudden, what matters the most? Your family and survival. You don't care about what you have. You don't care about what you've accumulated. Your relationships are the most important thing. Sometimes suffering and difficulty brings our priorities to the top. And and Paul said, you're going to suffer persecution from time to time. You're going to suffer conflict. You're going to have people oppose you. 
Courage in people is like a tea bag. You never know what strength they are until they're put in hot water. But it's also shown, your resolve is shown in the conflicts in verse 30. Having the same conflict. The word is agonia. <laughs> Guess what we, word we get in the English language from that? But actually, the word agonia refers to an athletic contest. Especially, it, it means that an athlete who is giving the level of intensity and exertion engaged in by athletics, such as the Olympics. You see them agonizing to win, pushing themselves beyond their limit of endurance. What, what could compel an athlete to do that? Representing their country in the Olympics. They have a cause bigger than themselves. And Paul said, I'm representing my country, heaven, God's kingdom. I'm representing Jesus. He said, I have a cause that's way beyond myself. Folks, pain and suffering are inevitable. Listen to me. Misery is an option. I'm going to let that sink in a minute because that just went way over your heads. You're going to suffer from time to time. But being miserable is choice. How do you handle it? The joy of the Lord is my strength. I told you last week, we're, we're going home. This, this world is not our home. We're not home yet. And you start really living when you're living for more than just yourself. You're following the Lord. So how about it? We need to get real, don't we? Christianity's not a game. It's not a pastime. It's a lifestyle. And the only way you can get real is to have the real thing. Joining a church won't make you real. Being baptized won't make you real. Committing your life to Christ, God forgiving you of your sins by faith, by trust, by His grace and mercy will make you real. I didn't say that all your circumstances would be perfect, but following Jesus... He's the real deal. And so if you don't know Jesus, whether you're in this room, whether you're in the venue, are you for real? <laughs> Y'all ever use that term? Are you for real? It's time to get real. If you don't know Jesus, it's time to get real. And the only way you do that is to turn from your sin. It means that you realize you're lost and you head toward God. You ask God to forgive you. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Not anything else. And by faith, receive him into your life. Pray that he will come into your life. Commit your life to him. You know what? July the 8th, 1978.
Park Hill Baptist Church, North Little Rock, Arkansas. Three o'clock in the afternoon. I was standing outside the auditorium by myself. The groomsmen were being ushers, or maybe they were coming in with the bridesmaids. My dad was helping in it, so the pastor wasn't standing out there with me. I was out there by myself. The first song started for the wedding, and my first thought was, what am I about to do? (laughs) Not in the standpoint that I didn't want to, but in the standpoint of, you know what? I am about to be responsible for another life. It got very real. The same happens with Jesus Christ. You can learn about him. You can know all about him. But until you commit your life to him, it's not real. And today, some of you need to get real. Whether you're in this room, whether you're in the venue, whether you're watching online, Today's your day. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, I pray right now for those within the sound of my voice in this room, in the venue, online. And some of them have been faking it a long time. Some go through the motions, but they don't know you. And I pray, and some, this may may be the first time they've ever heard about how to be real, to be a real Christ follower. And I pray that even now your spirit would show the lost the need to turn from their sin to come to you and commit their life to you. They may need a church. If this is the place, what an awesome place to come strive together in one spirit. Lord, to have people here that love each other. And I pray for those that need to be baptized just like these that have been obedient today. So, Lord, now would you move in here and in the venue, bringing people to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.